you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. The North Carolina General Assembly has officially adjourned the loan session and so much happening down in Raleigh, so much happening all over the all, all over North Carolina. I wanted to get some guests to lock in. You probably remember a lot of these folks, but never had them together all at one time. So we've got a political roundtable for you today. Um, Senator Joyce Kravick, who chairs the Health and Human Services Committee, is with us, as well as the North Carolina House Majority Whip, Representative John Hardister, and then also political commentator Mitch Coca who is with um, the John Locke Foundation and also the Carolina Journal, is joining us as well. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right. Doing great. Great, great. I, I, I'm so impressed I was able to bring such a smart group of people together to talk about such important issues happening across North Carolina. Um, it's hard to know where to start because there's so much happening across the country, and then certainly there's a lot happening right here in our backyard um, Senator, I'll, I'll start with you. I know you all had a pretty active long session. Um, just maybe give us a quick summary. Any, anything that you're very proud of that maybe came out of the Senate this, this past session? Well, um, I want to talk about a couple of disappointments that, uh, that we had that came from the Senate over to the House but didn't move that I was very disappointed in. And, of course, my focus is health care since that's where I uh, – where I spend most of my time locked in on healthcare issues. And um, we had a Medicaid expansion bill that uh, we thought was um, really good. Uh, worked on it for a long time. It did not move through the House, but I still have hope that we will be able to uh, get that worked out when we go back in because it has a lot of good things in it. Um, I have been, and Mitch and I are going to disagree on this because uh, John Locke has been opposed to Medicaid expansion for a long time, as have I. Um, and Mitch may remember that um, I traveled around the state speaking against Medicaid expansion because it was not the right thing for North Carolina at the time. We had budget uncertainties. Medicaid was um, out of balance. Oh, my goodness. We were filling $2 billion holes uh, each session. But the time is right now. The federal government keeps putting sweeteners in there. Uh, it's not a good deal for the federal government, but it is a good deal for North Carolina. It actually is uh, fiscally responsible for us to do it now. It will be revenue coming to North Carolina. So, um, and I'm a small government person, as anybody who knows me knows, but if there's money on the table, I want to bring it to North Carolina into my district. I'm going to fight for it. If any, everybody's willing to cut out all the spending, I am with them 100%. But if it's there, uh, I'm going to fight for it. And the Medicaid expansion is a really good deal now for North Carolina. And we've already expanded it by 560,000 people during the COVID pandemic. So all of those people are going to be thrown off when the emergency is lifted. So... That's my biggest and, disappointment. And, and, you know, Senator, um, I'm, I'm, that was actually one of the, the issues I wrote down, and I'm um, glad you already brought it into the conversation. Um, you know, Senator Berger, our, our Senate Majority Leader, is sort of on record saying 
he he was against it before he's now for it. Um, right. And, and so yeah. I know for many sessions, Senator Berger has stood at the gate and made sure that uh, Medicaid expansion did not pass. But now he seems to be in favor. I, I mean, it, you know, for Republicans and conservatives that might be listening and saying, OK, wait a minute, you you all aren't conservatives any longer. What 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 motivated the, the shift in, in tone and position? Um, the offers that the federal government are, are giving us now. They are picking up 90% of it. And then they also have, um, we were going to have the hospitals uh, pay the assessment of the 10%. So it was not going to be any cost to the state. But now the federal government is even picking up that 10% plus some. So it's going to be billions of dollars every year coming into North Carolina, uh, about $3 billion to start with just for signing up. So it's a lot of money. And this is going to help. This is truly for the working poor, because if you're not working, you're already on Medicaid. You qualify or you own the subsidies. But you have to make $24,500 a year to qualify for Obamacare subsidy. And uh, so a working mom, single with two kids making $24,000, she her kids are covered because we cover those children, but she can't afford to buy insurance. She doesn't qualify for the subsidy because she makes too much money. So in many cases, people will leave their jobs, go on the system so that they can get coverage. And we don't want that. We want to encourage people to work. We want to encourage them to get training, which all of this is in the bill. So it spells it out pretty precisely. So it's definitely for the working poor. You know, Representative Hardister, um, on the House side, in, any big things that you're proud of or, or like Senator Crobbett, maybe there's some things that you're just disappointed by. Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, I'll start with the good news. We we did pass a, a strong bipartisan budget that funded all the core services of government, uh, provided an increase of pay for state employees and and um, and teachers. And we, we've continued keeping our state on a path towards economic prosperity. Our budgets balanced responsibly. Uh, we've kept taxes low. I mean, more and more companies are coming to North Carolina every day. Our state is in really strong financial condition. I think um, our number one priority is to pass a state budget. And you know, we've had some issues with that over the last few years. But uh, you know, last year, we were able to get a budget enacted. This year, uh, it, it truly was a short session, which I think is kind of a relief to a lot of us who uh, signed up for this job and were honored to serve. But it was billed as a, as a part-time job, which really become full-time for practical purposes. But um, there's a lot of good things going on in, in North Carolina, you know, as far as economic development, uh, increasing pay for teachers and keeping our state on the right track uh, financially. Um, as far as disappointments, uh, I share a very similar position uh, that Senator Crowick just uh, uh, articulated in that, you know, as far as Medicaid expansion is concerned, I think the House and Senate are very close uh, to agreement on that. There's a little bit of um, disagreement on exactly how to, to get there. Uh, the Senate bill uh, had a lot of good things in it, I thought. And as a matter of fact, I have to go on the record and say that I support uh, expanding scope of practice, which was in the Senate bill. I support uh, some form of CON reform that was in the Senate bill. So if that uh, bill hit the floor of the House, I certainly would have voted in favor of it. And on Medicaid expansion, my, my view is very similar. Um, what I think is that and, and this, I think, really illustrates why in, in politics of public service, you have to keep 
you know, an open mind and you don't want to get yourself locked into a position where you're just going to maintain that position at all costs, no matter what, when, when circumstances change, when facts change. And the issue at hand here is that the Affordable Care Act has, has not been repealed. It's been upheld in court. Um, the Republican Party, when they held a majority in U.S. Congress, they did not repeal it. So it's a law of the land. It's not going away. We are spending a lot of money or paying taxes to the federal government, not getting that money back for Medicaid expansion where there is a coverage gap. The other thing, too, is the work that we've done, the House and Senate, and I know Joyce has played a major role in this, is making sure our Medicaid system is efficient. We, we've transformed it to a, a managed care uh, approach, and it's working extremely well. Uh, so it, we've got the system working now in such a way that it's efficient and cost-effective. And, you know, I think we're at the point where the, the expanding Medicaid, if we do it with, you know, the, the parameters that we've laid out, I think it's it's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, and I think we will get it done. And whether it gets done later this year or next year, I think that remains to be seen. But I think it's going to happen. You know, you know I do echo your comments about the economic development announcements. I, 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 I've lost tally, but I want to say somewhere around. $20 billion of private investment has been announced in North Carolina, I think just this year alone, um, with VinFast and Boom and just the, the number of companies that are that are wanting to come here. And, and a lot of those companies wanting to come to the central part of the state right here in the triad um, where we are based. And um, so, so happy and thankful um, that we are seeing some of the growth here. You know, Mitch, you you write a regular column for the Carolina Journal. You've, you've been very outspoken about Medicaid expansion. I can see you squirming um, as you listen to these two legislators um, talk, talk, talk so nicely about the expansion of Medicaid in the state of North Carolina. Um, and and I, can, I can probably see some conservatives in my audience maybe squirming a little bit, too. What's your reaction to what you're hearing today? Well, it was less squirming and more smiling because I've, I've heard these the, the same arguments in recent months as both folks in the Senate and the House have uh, come along toward more support of Medicaid expansion. And I, I think the federal government really has made it much easier for folks who were on the fence about it to say yes, because if they're going to send a billion dollars or more as an incentive to do it, and you see that the, the federal government hasn't made any change toward this match of 90 percent of the feds paying the bill for the expansion, then that makes it easier for you to support it. Now, of course, the John Locke Foundation, as Senator Kravik mentioned, we're still against it. We still hope that Medicaid expansion won't happen. I think one of the most interesting things about that bill is, and our two legislators would know much more about this than I do, but my understanding is one of the biggest holdups now is not really the legislators, that the legislative leaders uh, could probably come to a deal on this right now some of the biggest holdup is coming from stakeholders, the groups right. that would like to see Medicaid expansion, but don't like the other pieces that are especially in the Senate bill, hmm. uh, uh, reforming the certificate of need process, which for folks who don't know is basically uh, uh, forcing healthcare providers to get a government permission slip if they want to build a new facility or purchase a major piece of medical equipment or add to a hospital or add some uh, open up some new type of facility that's covered under the law. 
the hospitals, which would really like to see Medicaid expansion, they don't like the idea of reforming con because they basically have a monopoly over that process now. And they would definitely not want to open the door to more competition. And uh, there's also uh, among the doctors a lot of concern about allowing advanced practice nurses to uh, practice to the full scope, uh, full extent of their training. So it's really the other pieces of the Senate's Medicaid expansion bill that are causing heartburn for stakeholders outside the General Assembly. And from from what I understand, that's one of the key pieces uh, that that's keeping Medicaid expansion at bay for now. So that I was really smiling uh, about that because that seems to be something that that we like that's blocking something we don't like, at least for now. But I would agree with with both Senator Kravik and Representative Hardister that the the winds seem to be pushing towards some sort of deal on Medicaid expansion, if not this year, probably in the not too distant future, just because uh, there, there's so much on the table for people who uh, are inclined to think that this is a, a good idea. And the other thing I'll mention before you get to your next question is I would echo Representative Hardister in saying the, the big thing for the General Assembly this year was finishing a budget. And it's a, a positive sign that after Governor Cooper signed his first ever budget last November, that he went ahead and and did the same thing this time around and didn't stand in the way, which is what he did for his whole first term, uh, uh, veto every budget. And then once Republicans lost their supermajorities in the General Assembly, that led to the stalemate where we had no new budget for a couple of years. So it was nice to see that a budget was finalized. Uh, it, it keeps spending growth in check. The tax cuts that were passed as part of the last budget will continue to go forward. So we're going to see lower personal income tax rates. We're on the, the path to phasing out the, the corporate income tax rate. And my view as a representative of the John Locke Foundation is as that moves forward, all these targeted incentives deals are going to become less important because we're going to have such low tax rates. The businesses are going to flock here anyway and won't ask for special deals. You know, Mitch, you um, you mentioned the the zero and out of the corporate tax rate. Um, actually, on my show, locked in with me last week was Ed Haynes, um, who's a former state legislator, but but now turned lobbyist and actually leading the charge behind the North Carolina Medical Cannabis Association. And part of his argument for medical cannabis is that we need to create new revenue sources here in North Carolina as we lose some revenue sources. Um, you know, Cinder Kravik, I know you all were able to pass the medical cannabis bill, but it got hung up on the House side. Um, Representative Hardister, I know you've been on the show before and you actually have mentioned you thought if that bill ever came to the House, that it would actually pass. Um, what do you think happened this, this past session? Yeah, great question. So I can tell you what happened. I'm fully in favor of the bill. Uh, I'm on the record supporting it. Uh, the Republican House caucus had a discussion about it, and the the majority of caucus did not want to move forward with it. Uh, it was more of a question of, is this something you want to do now? Something you want to do in a short session? Maybe wait till next year? And I think uh, there's kind of a, a mix of opinions, I think, on on the House side particularly in, in within the Republican caucus. There's some people just against it. Some people like me are for it. Then you have a, a good number that are kind of like on the fence about it, not really sure. And I think maybe in the short session, they just wanted to get done and, and get back home and get the budget done and take more time to think about it and, and seek input from their, their constituents. Uh, 
I think if it hit the floor, it would pass. But yeah, at this time, or at least during the short session, there was not consensus in the caucus to actually move it forward. And um, I can't speak, obviously, for any other member of of the um, of the House, but I think the speaker is generally open to it. But uh, I don't think the speaker wanted to bring the bill to the floor unless he knew that at least a majority of the Republican caucus was in favor of it. Um, all that said, I think the uh, the issue is gaining a lot of momentum. And uh, I think that each day goes by, I think more and more uh, members of the legislature will start to support it. And I think public opinion is in favor of it as well. Uh, so, again, I think it's one of those issues where it, it's likely to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's a question of when. Uh, probably not this year, as we discussed before. We might have uh, legislative sessions throughout the fall this year. This is something I think is likely to come up. Um, next year. And I'm sure there'll be uh, another bill filed in the Senate. And you know, I would certainly entertain filing bill in the House as well. Well, you know, the, the bill sponsors on the Senate side, I mean, they're, they're you know, a very powerful sponsor that really got behind the, the medical cannabis bill. So a lot of people really thought it would obviously get get through the entire session. Um, you know, Senator Kravitz, there, there, there's a group of people out there that are really concerned that we, we are getting on a slippery slope here. And that this only opens the door to the recreational marijuana. Um, what's been some of the chatter in the upper chamber? I mean, what what are some of the people on the Health and Human Services Committee talking about? Well, uh, Representative Hardister uh, said it very well. There is just um, some hesitation on the Republican side, even on the Senate side. A majority of Republicans did not support the bill on the floor, which I believe, if I remember correctly the first time that's ever happened. Hmm. Uh, a bill usually doesn't get to the floor if we don't have a majority support. That was an exception. And we're not, I'm not sure how that happened, but a lot of folks were undecided and changing their mind. And at the last minute, I guess, uh, decided to vote against it. But um, there's a lot of people who are very concerned about it, thinking that it is something that will not be good in the long run for North Carolina. Uh, of course, there are people on both sides of the aisle in our chamber, I mean, both sides of the issue within our caucus. Uh, a lot of people supporting it diligently, as you mentioned, uh, even a uh, powerful leader, uh, Senator Rabin, our rules chairman. But uh, then we had a lot of folks who had a lot of concerns about it. So uh, I think it will take a lot more debate. Um, some of the complaints that I heard were that we only heard the positive sides. We had the veterans there talking about, you know, how beneficial it was to them. And um, some of our members said we need to look at the negative side, too, because we did hear from a lot of medical professionals who thought it was a terrible idea. Mm. So uh, I think there will be a lot more debate about it probably before it's done. But um, it's, it has been a very controversial issue, but the public support has definitely been gaining for it um, every year for a number of years. And, and you know, Mitch, they, they coupled this bill with, with a sports betting provision. Um, so I'm sure public support is probably high for all these things. Um, but, you, you know, you spend a lot of time around this. I mean, and you obviously have a more conservative perspective of public policy. I mean, is North Carolina ready for cannabis and sports betting and, and, and these types of policies? I think the public polling suggests that that probably is true. Now, uh, it's important to gauge public opinion and no public opinion, but you also have to set policy 
uh, not necessarily by just putting your your finger up in the wind and seeing which way it blows. I, I think public sentiment is behind probably both of these issues, but it's also important, as Senator Kravik mentioned, to look at potential downsides. The CEO of our organization, the John Locke Foundation, came to us from Colorado, and Colorado has kind of opened the door to uh, cannabis and marijuana there. And her standard line in talking to people about this issue is not, yay, go forward and do it, or no, don't do it, but basically saying, keep your eyes open and look at other places that have done this and weigh the good and the bad, Hmm. because I think Colorado has probably seen quite a bit of uh, influx in dollars because of uh, the, the legalization to some extent of marijuana, but it's also seen some downside and some impacts on crime. So mm. if you're going into this, you want to go in with your eyes wide open, knowing that there are pros and cons. And I'd like to throw in at this point, Algernon, because you mentioned the sports wagering, that uh, that also was a, a, a very I- interesting issue. And I'm sure uh, if, if he wants to, Representative Hardister could talk a little bit about the how that played out. But that was fascinating to see that debate in the House come down to just one vote being the difference between whether that could move forward or not. You had people who were leaving the floor so they wouldn't have to vote and then come back. And that's one of those cases where the legislative sausage making was very interesting. But I would say a general theme and and perhaps both of the, the actual legislators would have some thoughts about this. But I got the sense this time around for this session when the budget had to be done, but not really much else had to be done beyond that, that the Senate seemed to have a lot of high priorities that they really wanted to get done. And on the House side, it was a much more of a situation that, well, let's get done what we can get done. But if we don't get these things other than the budget done, that's okay. And I think that ended up meaning that the House sort of, if you go back to the old uh, Seinfeld episode where George Costanza talked about having the hand in the relationship, you had the upper hand that uh, that the House did this time around because the House didn't really have anything that they wanted to trade with the Senate for. If uh, if if the Senate said sent something to the House, the House could say, well, yes, we might do it or we might not. But they didn't really have a lot of trading back and forth to do. And I think that that ended up coloring a lot of what happened in the General Assembly this year. Hmm. You, you know, I, I mean, this it feels like anytime I do this show, and especially today, because I've got such great guests and, and the commentary and the, and the conversation is so good, I'm already running out of time. But, but before I run out of time, um, really want to jump on this issue. So the, the Supreme Court has recently handed every state legislature across the country um, a political hand grenade, in, in, in my opinion, um, because they've essentially said, OK, now um, you all are responsible for the abortion issue. And I, I think this is so fascinating to me because I've been around politics, as you all know, and especially Senator Kravik, because she's watched me grow up in this, you know, over the last 20 years or so. Um, you know, for a long time, if you were conservative or you were Republican, you could run for office, especially at the state level. You could say you're a pro-life. Um, but you could also um, say, well, there's nothing I can really do about it. Um, you know, that's a Supreme Court issue. I don't really have the authority or the power to address it. Um, but according to the Supreme Court, you do now. You do have the authority and you do have the power to address it. 
I mean, when we get back into the next session, are, are you all hearing any chatter about the potential of limiting or banning abortion here in, in North Carolina? And I'll start with you, Senator Kravik, considering you're on the, the Health and Human Services Committee. Um, well, we have a bill that was passed several years ago, which is a 20-week ban that abortions could not be performed after 20 weeks. Well, the court um, put that on hold because it was a conflict with Roe when they did the, the um, uh, verify. You know, I mean, the, the baby had to be viable outside the womb. Um, so we have asked the court to um, instill that law that has already been passed. Uh, my understanding is that the attorney general, Stein, has refused to ask that of the court. So we have asked the court to let us represent ourselves as a legislature mm. because it was passed by the legislature. And um, we are waiting a decision on that if we'll be able to represent ourselves. They did allow that in one of the um, voting issue cases. They did allow us to um, present our, our cause, our case because the attorney general was refusing to do that. So we're not sure where that will stand, but we do have a 20 week ban that has already been passed. And um, if fair is fair and Roe is now gone, and that was the reason for it being, uh, being uh, held up in the court, then that 20 week ban should come back into effect. But yes, we are hearing from people on both sides um, I believe the court made the right decision. Many people thought that that always should have been a state decision uh, as it was before Roe. Um, it is nowhere in the constitution that I've ever seen. So I think the court made the right decision by sending it back to the states for us to decide. But it's gonna be a big issue and a big debate um, as it always is. And uh, I usually carry the pro-life bills on the Senate side and um, even some that should not have been controversial um, end up being very controversial. So no matter what you try to do in that space, it's always, always controversial. So we will have a, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about how to handle that when we get back. And, and so, Senator, just to make sure I understood you clearly, if, if you all were to have your way with the, 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 um, the, the court, as you mentioned, so that would essentially ban any abortions in North Carolina that were after 20 weeks. Correct. Correct. OK, I just want to make right. sure I got that for the audience. But what about you, Representative Hardister? Any any thoughts on this issue? I mean, it just sounds like this as we move forward, this could really dominate the, the, the political conversation. Yeah, well, first of all, um, you know, I respect all opinions on on abortion. It's a very sensitive topic. And uh, I put out a statement after Roe versus Wade. I said, look, th this is a sensitive topic. Y you have two countervailing interests here. You've got the, the unborn child, then you have the mother and the mother has rights and, you know, freedom and things like that. So very difficult subject. Now, personally, I'm on record as being center right on abortion. I don't think you can completely outlaw it, but I think it should be regulated. It should be restricted. Um, I don't think the government should fund it. I don't think taxpayers should be forced to pay for it. Um, now, as far as taking action, I, I believe there will likely be some form of action next year when we go back into session. Uh, I'll give you an example. So we had a bill that we we voted on that uh, was called the Born Alive Bill, which basically says if a baby is in the process of being born, even if it's like, you know, let's just say it's it's an abortion that's gone awry late term, 
but subsequently uh, the, the baby's actually born alive, then the doctors have a fiduciary responsibility to keep the baby alive. And the governor vetoed that, you know, that bill. Now, to me, that's a very reasonable uh, position for the General Assembly to take. That if there's a baby li- living and breathing outside the mother's body, it ought to be kept alive. Mm. Um, you know, candidly, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, that the governor had vetoed that and we we, di- we didn't have um, enough. We didn't have bipartisan support to override the, the governor to veto that bill. That's an example of some form of a restriction or regulation that we could put in place. And and Joyce is right. There's currently a um, a 20 week ban on abortions in North Carolina that was enacted years ago, but it's not been enforceable. And at this time, as, as Joyce said, it's incumbent really on the state's attorney general to ask for that or to engage in the, the judicial process to have that injunction lifted. Uh, but the attorney general said that uh, his office is not going to pursue that. So it, it, it could come down to General Assembly you know, taking action to, um, you know, to have that injunction lifted. So there's still a legal implication here, at least as far as, as that's concerned. But um, you know, all that being said, it, I do believe that the court made the right decision because, one, Abortion is not in the Constitution, so therefore, I think it should be reserved for the states. And secondly, from like a philosophical point of view, I think that abortion is very divisive. And and I think the paradox here is that it's more divisive when you federalize it. Like, I think we've nationalized way too many issues. I think it's much better when you have the states deal with issues individually. That way, if you're a progressive liberal, well, you're probably better situated living in a state like California. But if you're very conservative, you might be better situated living in a state like Florida. And if you don't like the abortion laws of one state, you go to the other. So I think even though it's been dominating news cycles to an extent, I think in the long run, this is actually going to make abortion less divisive by making it a state issue. You know, Mitch, certainly um, the Supreme Court has changed the national political conversation, not only with this ruling, but several rulings, quite frankly, that we don't have time to get into, whether it be school vouchers, climate change, a a number of things. I think some of these rulings, quite frankly, could have an impact and and strong influence on the midterm election cycle that we're currently in. But how do you see this impact in North Carolina? What are some things we may need to anticipate when that next legislative session rolls around? Well, both of your legislative guests have alluded to the fact that this is a very divisive issue and has a major impact on politics. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Bill was already referenced. And what has not yet been mentioned is that after Governor Cooper vetoed the bill and the bill went back before the Senate, the Senate actually did vote to override. But as soon as that happened, a Democratic senator who supported it was excoriated by his uh, fellow Democrats. They even set up a website about disloyal Democrats, and he was the only one on it. So uh, that sent a message fairly early on that if you don't back the party on that issue, you're going to pay the price. And I think that's going to be true, even if legislation moves forward, that some Democrats within the General Assembly would find very reasonable. They may say, do I really want to buck the crowd that that backs abortion and that is vocal about it. So I think that's point number one. Point number two is uh, I've seen and perhaps Representative Hardister and Senator Kravik have actually had conversations with these figures about this issue. I haven't had conversations with them, but I have seen 
quotes from Senator Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore about what's likely to happen on this issue. And I was very interested to see that both of them were talking about the fact that if there is new legislation, it's likely to have the nuances that the people who uh, consider this issue outside of the, uh, the, the rhetoric really are are looking at this in a reasonable way. I mean, they were talking about having exceptions for rape and incest and the, the threats to the life of the mother if she goes forward with the pregnancy, also talking about things that do with minors and abortion and other things that people would say, look, you know, we need to build this into the legislation. I think it is it's fairly certain that we're not going to see the General Assembly vote on a bill that bans all abortions under all circumstances at all times. I, mm. There is a bill that's been filed to that effect in the House, but I don't think it has all that many supporters other than its its uh, initial supporter. If there's going to be new legislation beyond the 20-week ban that could be reinstated now that Roe is gone, it's going to be nuanced. We did a poll right after the leaked draft of the Dobbs opinion to ask people in North Carolina what they thought about abortion and had very interesting findings. And one of them was, and it was about 23% of likely general election voters think abortion should be legal at all times under all circumstances. So less than one in four, about 10% of people think it should always be banned under all circumstances. Put those two together, that's about a third of the voters. Two thirds of the voters are in between thinking that it either should be mostly illegal with some exceptions or mostly legal with some limitations. My guess is that once the dust settles at the end of this debate, if it ever does have an end, there's going to be legislation that will fall somewhere in the middle there, that there, that it will probably be mostly illegal, but with some exceptions that deal with rape, incest and protecting the health of the mother, because there are, as Representative Hardister said, competing interests here. And the legislature is going to want to put forward something that's going to address both of those competing interests. But it is likely something that uh, that this General Assembly is going to be contending with for a while. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be around for a long time. And and I, I, I think as we get into subsequent election cycles, especially here at the state level, I think it could become a primary issue, um, you know, on the Democratic and the Republican side. I, I, I think you're going to have um, community groups get organized and they're going to have candidates that that they're going to put up that are either pro-life or pro-choice. And I, I, I think this what used to be a really national conversation has now really come back, come home to our backyard. And I think it's going to be an issue that's popping up in primaries quite a bit. Maybe not this year, because obviously that season is already behind us. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to look at the next year and even more interesting when we get to 2024, which will be a presidential year, how much of this is an issue at the, at the state level. Um, to my guests, I thank you all for locking in with me. This was a really, really great conversation. And I am certain my audience got a lot out of it, learned a lot more about what's happening in Raleigh. Um, but we, we didn't get to everything because there's so much going on in Raleigh. And so next week, I actually have Representative Zinger and Representative Baker. They're going to join me here on the Locked In Show. And we're going to continue the conversation about what just happened in the, the latest North Carolina General Assembly session. Of course, we'll want to invite all you guys back next session to talk about what's happening 
um, you know, down in Raleigh to my audience. I want to encourage you to make sure you stay tuned to WTOB because every Sunday morning, that is where you can lock in with me. But if you miss it there, hopefully you're subscribed to the podcast. You can download it on Pandora, Spotify, Apple, wherever you like to get your favorite podcast, you can lock in with me there and make sure you continue to follow Algernon Cash on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Until next time, y'all stay locked in. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.